So, Rachel. Yeah? While investigating the disappearance of the USS Drake, the Enterprise encounters a planet long dead, but technical equipment still functions for the purpose of selling off its arsenal, along with self-sufficiency. What do you think you're going to get? The Arsenal of Freedom Most American Title Ever, Boy. USA. So it's a gun eBay or something? Unregulated? Maybe they'll sell to people they shouldn't. Oh. What are they spending the money on, though? Server costs or something? <laughs> There's no people there. <laughs> so it's gun show androids who've gone off grid, let's say. Okay. Some survivors of the Drake will be there. They'll come aboard the Enterprise and go mental. That sounds great. <laughs> I bet you you're 100% right. Yes. Rachel watches Star Trek. Captain's log, Stardate 4178.2. We have been ordered by Starfleet to proceed to the Lorenz Cluster and investigate the disappearance of the light cruiser USS Drake, which was in that system trying to unravel a mystery of its own, which began when recent long-range probes indicated that all intelligent life on the planet Minos had disappeared. Hey! Hello, all you legendary children. Bear witness to our Federation realness. Welcome. I'm Rachel Lackett. And I'm Chris Lackey, and you are listening to... Rachel watches Star Trek. It's a show about a nerdy guy who's got his wife, who isn't a nerd, to watch some Star Trek. Uh, yes, indeed. And it's been going on a very long time. Yeah. That's too long. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is called The Arsenal of Freedom, and it was written by Richard Manning and Hans Beemler. The story was by Maurice Hurley and Robert Lewin, directed by Les Landau. Okay, yeah, but it's good to give credit yeah. where it's due, you know? And uh, I guess we can just jump into the story. Did you remember this one? Yes, I did remember this one. Yeah? Yeah, not in super detail. I think I watched Next Gen about three or four four years ago. All right, the whole thing. Yeah. It's not one of my favorites. No. No. But I- it is one, Chris, where science fiction becomes science fact. Oh. As I will share with you. Oh, now I'm concept. excited. <laughs> Our story begins at the planet Minos. The Enterprise crew is there to investigate the disappearance of the USS Drake. Data tells us that the Minosians were famous during the Ursalarope Wars. <laughs> okay, now you're just saying words. Who cares? <laughs> uh, They were arms dealers in these wars, and they sold to both sides of the conflict. Boo! They're war profiteers. At least it's equal, I suppose. Uh, I guess. They talk about Captain Rice, the commander of the Drake. Riker used to know him back in the Academy. Troy is around this episode, and she just (laughs) looks at people very concerned Mm. through 90% of it. (laughs) Yeah, and there aren't really any points where her sensing would have been useful, I suppose. No. But it's so willy-nilly when she is and isn't there. Yeah. In fact, usually when she would have been useful, she's not there. Well, yeah, exactly. But we find out that Riker was actually offered command of the Drake. What? But he turned it down so he could serve on the Enterprise, which is the <laughs> Federation flagship. And there's an amazingly sensual look between Riker and Picard. <laughs> <laughs> As if to say he chose the Enterprise because he's thirsty for the captain. <laughs> He even licks his lips. See our YouTube page for evidence. Oh, boy. Bit of Ricard. Don't mind that. Oh, Ricard? Fiction. Mm. There's got to be Ricard fiction out there. The planet has no signs of intelligent life, just plants and animals. And the Drake is nowhere to be seen. 
It's a bright blue sound stage with a whole garden centre full of plants and lots of dry ice. It's even more low rent than some of the TOS episodes. Yeah, yeah it's really bad. They then receive a hail from the planet. We see the weird looking face of actor Vincent Chevalier. Oh, he, he is. He, he is very bizarre looking. We often say <laughs> Very that, characterful. Yeah, he had the Innsmouth look about him, as we, we did say. <laughs> Uh, you, you might know him from such films as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Better Off Dead, Batman Returns, and Tomorrow Never Dies. Ghost. Of course. He teaches is Sam to push a penny he does. in the subway. He does. Uh, now, you know, Cuckoo's Nest actually has a ton of actors that end up in Star Trek. Louise Fletcher, which you won't see her yet until Deep Space Nine. Brad Dorif, he is in Voyager. Christopher Lloyd, obviously the Klingon from mm. Star Trek Three. Yeah. Peter Bracco and Michael Berryman. Okay. So we find out that good old Vincent, he's not named in this, but he's sort of an automated advert salesman, yeah. kind of. And he's trying to sell weapons to the Enterprise. Yeah, I like that. That's something fresh. Trigger alert, though, for home shopping network addict. <laughs> Just go and do your self care, try to resist. You don't need any more juices. Yar says that they should just beam down with a small group to search the planet, just to make sure that whatever happened to the Drake crew doesn't happen to them. Mm. Huh. Don't they have their own droids they can send down? Or, you know, drones or something. They don't. <laughs> they have probes, but that's about it. And I don't know why they don't use them all the time. Yeah, let's send number one down, plus other important staff, and then send the captain down as well, and our main doctor. But how boring would the show be if they sent a drone down yeah, to look at boring. everything? Yeah. For Yara's plan, Riker agrees, so no stupid experts here. Not yet. <laughs> Yar, LaForge, Data, and Riker all beam down to the forest planet. And I say planet, but obviously it's a soundstage. Yeah, they had to because of the puppet. Oh, really? I guess. Oh, could be. As they search the area, they find a piece of melted tritanium, an alloy used in the construction of starships. Data also finds a tripod-mounted energy cannon sort of thing. Yeah, they don't really go anywhere with that, do they? No. Yar says that whatever melted the tritanium is far beyond any Federation technology. Get out! So I guess that means at the end of the episode, they're going to have all this awesome new technology <laughs> that they're going to use. They split up and Riker runs into Captain Paul Rice of the USS Drake. Cold lunch reunion. Riker is really happy to see him, but Captain Rice is acting very... Strange. Very emotionless and stiff. And Riker has told us before that he is arrogant. Yeah. But this guy's just kind of dead behind the eyes, isn't he? He sure is. He's asking a lot of questions of Riker, and Riker picks up on the strangeness of it all. Look, Enterprise calls him and reminds him. They're like, yeah, we still only have three life signs. Mm -hmm. And he's like, uh, yeah. It's like Finnegan. It is like Finnegan. Yeah. He's fake. Nowhere near as much fun as Finnegan. No, God, no. Sadly. Fake Rice is asking Riker about the crew and the qualities of the Enterprise. Riker starts giving him false information. And trying out his new stand-up routine. Who sent you here to look for you? Your mother. She's worried about you. Tell me about your ship, Riker. It's the Enterprise, isn't it? No, the name of my ship is the Lollipop. I have no knowledge of that ship. It's just been commissioned. It's a good ship. <laughs> I know it's cheap, but it made me laugh. Did it? It did. <laughs> well, snicker, I guess. Da -da 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 -da. Oh, your mother. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Riker calls him out as a fraud, and the image of Rice goes away, and then we see a flying drone. The drone was masking itself and projecting a hologram of Rice. How? Where did he get the information on Riker from, and why did it want information from Riker? 
maybe it monitored their communications because they did mm. say, you know, Riker here and mm -hmm. those types of things. And That's then, why it only knows his last name. Yes. And then maybe it also got the information from Rice when he was there, how he talked, how he looked. Why did stuff. they know that Riker knew Rice, though? I don't know. Hmm. I'm not sure. Maybe they're able to get into the computers. It's an advanced civilization. Yeah, but then they don't even know his first name. And they don't know the name of the spaceship either. And or the whole point of them is gathering information. So if right. they've already got information, they don't need to do it. Shenanigans. You're right. Well, the drone attacks Riker and puts him in some kind of force field cocoon. Yar hmm. fires on it and destroys the drone. But Riker is still frozen in the energy bubble. Nice to have a woman doing the saving. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. They can't transport Riker up, so Picard and Dr. Crusher beam down. Oh, that seems stupid. Why have Picard there? I have no idea. Again, story, fun, yeah. etc. but yeah. that's all. He doesn't need to be there. Jordy is given command of the Enterprise while they are gone. Ooh. I like this. <laughs> Data starts to laser through the force field around Riker when the Enterprise calls to say another energy reading has appeared, moving towards them. Then we've got two randos on the con. So where's Worf? He's supposed to be sitting in one of those front chairs. Yeah, he's taken over Tactical because Yar is on the planet. Mm. So he's in charge of security and ships, weapons and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, these two actors have lots of lines and do lots yes. of talking. She's very, very attractive. Sure. She's got this little split fringe at the front, you know, the curly. Yeah, she's got curly hair, dark hair. He looks like Chad if you really squint. Yeah, if you squint, it looks like Chad Pfeiffer, the guy on the helm. Yeah, so we're having to invest in two brand new characters here. Let's hope this really pays off. <laughs> <laughs> a second droid arrives and fires, chasing Picard and Crusher, who fall down a deep hole into a cavern. Picard is fine, but Bev is hurt in a very bad way. She's buried under some rubble and sand with a broken arm and leg. Yeah, really pathetic. <laughs> and she's completely immobilized and inactive throughout the rest of the episode. Data and Yar shoot at and hide from the flying weapon, discovering that it's learned from their previous fight and can now evade them. Working together on Yar's instruction, they phaser it to death, but no one's comm badges are working. Mm. This is so common on dangerous missions yeah. that it's ridiculous they haven't solved this yet. If you can jam transmissions, mm -hmm. I don't know how you can necessarily get around interference like that. Mm. You have to have some pretty sophisticated equipment. And yeah, a shuttle they could go back to the ship on. Oh, they could, yeah. Or they a rope <laughs> or something. <laughs> a rope. Yeah, they could do that. Yeah, decides to go off and try and find Bev and Picard, leaving Data with the frozen Riker. Yeah, Data, he figures out that this force field has got some sort of frequency, so he's testing the phaser to try and find the right frequency to pop the bubble. Crusher is woozy and keeps trying to go to sleep, but Picard is determined not to let her. Yeah, and it made me think, this is such a trope, isn't it? Why do people have to stay awake when they're injured? Well, I thought it was because if you pass out while you're severely injured, you can slip into a coma. But if you keep yourself awake, you won't go into a coma. Yeah, does, does that make sense, though? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, I looked it up, and of course, this is only one source. But Daniel Engbert on Slate.com looked at the stay with me trope. And he writes that you can't stop someone falling into a coma and that whatever's causing unconsciousness, loss of blood in this case, will continue to unfold regardless of awakeness. Mm. He says, an unresponsive patient may face some special risks, however. The muscles of the airway can relax in such a way as to hinder breathing or a patient might be suffocated by his floppy tongue or having his neck tilted at a funny angle. ER doctors and technicians are trained to keep a victim's airway clear 
They may do this by inserting a tube into the trachea. They don't do this by slapping a victim across the face or begging him to stay alert <laughs> like they do, in, not in this episode, but no. in many films. He also says it, it might still be a good idea to rouse a patient from time to time, just briefly, yeah. and make sure they're still okay, they haven't deteriorated. Mm. When people are asleep, they've got no clear way to register distress. So waking them periodically may be a useful way for those around them to know if things are getting worse. There you go. So what do you think about that? Well, I Is guess... this just something that used to be believed and has been disproven? I don't know. You know who we should ask is Dr. Eric Vallone. Yeah, I'm sure he'd love to put aside his one second of free time at the moment. Informers <laughs> <laughs> about well, this. Well, hopefully he's got a little bit of time and he can jump in and write yeah. a comment for us and we can read it on the comment show. That'd be great. Which is available to all Patreon subscribers. Back to the story. Picard can't call for help. So he's playing doctor, moving Crusher's broken arm about for no reason, <laughs> and then cracking off a branch to make a splint with some torn fabric. <laughs> and Bev never says, I'm going to tell you exactly what to do because I'm a medical professional. <laughs> Take off your shirt and make it into a sling so my arm is resting safely on my chest. Or better yet, don't move me at all because I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I'm bleeding my leg off under this sand. Yeah. Which she doesn't tell him for another 15, 20 minutes. She, yeah, she totally is sitting on that. I don't know why. <laughs> so Yar returns to Data just as he works out how to dissolve the bubble around Riker. Riker is released, disorientated, but fine. Could he hear and see what was going on while he was in there? I guess so, because he doesn't ask any questions and nobody updates him or anything. No. Yeah. It's very odd. I guess he, maybe it was just paralysis. From a story standpoint, it's really boring to oh, yeah. have a character filled in on something that... We already know. Geordi can now beam them up. Not sure why. Is it just he could have anyway, but the comm badges didn't work. Now they can just hone in on where they are. Well, Riker was in this energy bubble, which they couldn't beam him up. Mm, that was right, the problem. So right. that's why they went down there. Got you. Mm -hmm. But the deflector shields on the Enterprise raise automatically. They're being shot at. Mm -hmm. So of course they can't beam up through the shield. No. The bridge shakes. They can't target the device attacking them to destroy it, and it keeps firing. With Commodore in waiting type arrogance, Chief Engineer Logan swans in to tell Geordi he's taking over. Yeah. Reckons Picard would never have left Geordi in charge if he knew there would be a battle. And he says they have to get the ship out of there to save it. Geordi is not having it. Calmly tells Logan to get back to engineering and do his job, and instructs Worf to compute the predicted attack path of the weapon. Yeah, I'm totally digging this. I yeah. like seeing Jordy as a captain. I don't think we see this again. I don't think uh -oh. he's in command. This is just his episode, isn't it? You, just, you only get one. He has other episodes, but he moves down to engineering. He becomes the chief engineer. So he doesn't really have an opportunity to take over. There is a cool episode in the future because Data is actually third in command. He becomes... Mm the captain right, yeah, for, nice. for an episode and that's a pretty that's a pretty good one hmm. but I like seeing Jordy in charge he's got this great kind of calmness about him he knows what he's doing but then there's this element of a little bit of unsureness because it's yeah. his first time yeah and I, we're supposed to worry that he'll lose his confidence or yeah. make a bad decision but I thought LeVar Burton pulled it off like really well like mm -hmm. that balance of being in control but also being a little unsure yeah really liked that part yeah. of this episode I couldn't help but project racism onto the character who swans in and undermines him and tells him what to do. But that's my contemporary eyes looking at it. But that guy, yeah, he's total butthole. Yeah. And they make it so you don't like him. Like a great Commodore. <laughs> <laughs> 
On the planet, a third device is now attacking, and it has a deflector shield upgrading itself after each fight. Uh-oh. They do some crossing of the stream stuff to destroy the thing. All three of them have to focus their phasers. Yeah. And Data says that they have 12 minutes before a new drone appears, and that that drone is probably going to have learned mm-hmm. how to beat their defenses. So, it, like, it fights them, learns, makes a new drone. Yeah. Every 12 minutes. The clock is ticking. Got some kind of drone factory in there somewhere. Yeah. In the cavern, Picard keeps forcing Crusher to stay awake. <laughs> She's still in a little slurry. She now finally mentions that she has a worse wound on her leg. Finally bringing that up. <laughs> She's losing loads of blood. <laughs> <laughs> and she needs a clotting agent. She instructs Picard, oh, there's that root over there. Why don't you taste it and see if it changes your skin color? And Good it job. Does. It's a totally dead, dried out root that he can snap. Easily. Oh, I know. Sure. Have you tried to break a root? <laughs> no way. They're flexible. That's the whole thing. No way. <laughs> and it's kind of crazy that they're on an alien planet yeah. and it's got the exact plant that she needs. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little far-fetched for me. <laughs> but basically, it's a clotting agent, this root, and he uses it on her wound. Then we get a bit of Bev backstory. Her grandma, during the Arvada 3 colony disaster, learned how to use herbs and roots, or as you say, herbs, after medical supplies ran out. She later taught Bev, which inspired her to become a doctor. Picard never knew she was brought upon a colony, was she? What's the significance of that? He seems. Just, I think maybe he just didn't know one way or the other where she was from. Ask any questions, Picard? No. Where has everyone else been brought up, Earth? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Or is it that it, it was this particular colony that she was brought up on? Well, I think that obviously he knew about the disaster that happened there. Yeah. So that was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Didn't know she'd gone through that or yeah. her ancestors had. Mm-hmm. By the way, Bev is very cold and doing some nice chattery teeth acting. <laughs> Much more subtle than Shatner in the Magatu one. <laughs> but Picard just will not be a human blanket, like Spock was for McCoy in All Our Yesterdays. Oh, man, yeah. My lips are very cold, Jean-Luc. <laughs> well, this episode was originally, Picard was the one that was injured, I think think that's what they said and they were supposed to get deeper into their relationship like they had mm. the hots for each other and one yeah. of them confesses their feelings but so Ronberry put the kibosh on it and he didn't is like he it still i thought they'd send him on holiday no. no he still has veto power at this point that's interesting because we can talk about it later but yeah. it seems as though they're there slowing the plot down yeah. and we keep returning to them so that we can develop their relationship or their characters and it just doesn't really happen does no. it no. So back on the ship, they fire phasers and photon torpedoes, but they miss this cloaked thing. It attacks again, further damaging their shields. LaForge looks worried, and he calls for Logan to come to the bridge. And we're like, oh. Jordy, no! He's given up. He's given up. No, Jordy can't give up. Jordy orders the Enterprise to warp out of there. I didn't think he was for a second leaving those guys behind. No yeah, that's way. what freaking uh, Logan said. He goes, you're leaving the captain behind? Uh, like you said he should? Yeah. God, can't Ch- get it right for that guy. Changing your tune. But he goes, oh, no, no, we're not permanently leaving. Logan, you're getting ditched. Yep. We're putting you in command <laughs> in of, the the s- of the saucer section. <laughs> and I'm going to take the star drive portion of the ship. Hooray, Jordy's remembered that you can separate. Yeah. But it's still dangerous and risky because they can blow up the whole bottom part of the Enterprise, which has got a lot of people on there as well. Mm. Keen to make use of all his captainy perks, Geordi heads to Picard's ready room, where Troy lays some advice on him. So she comes as one of the perks too, I guess. As well. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks she's concerned about his fear, but she reassures him he's doing great in a crisis. 
It's the two randos who could lose it if Geordie doesn't give them a pep talk. Guy, he's got a lot to be responsible for, no. isn't he? Can't she go and give him a pep talk or something? But it has to come from him because he's the one in charge. Yeah. They have to feel like they're in good hands. He has to show confidence in them. Just like Picard showed confidence in me, Geordie swoons. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's some rough dialogue you had to deal with there. <laughs> yeah, he did. With the bridge crew in the battle bridge, the ship separates, leaving the saucer section behind. Very similar design, those two bridges, haven't they? Yeah, it's mm. smaller, but similar. So it's not the same set. Oh, no. Is it gosh, not? not at all. <laughs> oh, no, I can't remember. No, no, no. The battle bridge is, doesn't have carpeting in it. It is much smaller. It's about three quarters the size. Oh, this is wonderful. You know, <laughs> do you just like this? Is this because you've seen models? Or do you well, just yeah, pay attention? I pay attention. Carpeting. Jeez. So First it was the boots last week, now it's the carpets. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's more functional. You know, it's mm. less comfort in the battle bridge. So back in the cavern, Picard uncovers a view screen and a holographic projection of the salesman appears, trying to sell them on the Echo Papa 607. <laughs> so cute sounding. Yeah, I think it's EP. Isn't Echo Papa Foxtrot when you're using oh, letters? Right? right. It turns out that the attacks on the away team in the Enterprise are simply part of an automated demonstration of the weapons. Oh, stupid idea. It has no idea that its parent civilization was wiped out. And obviously it doesn't realize that it's attacking its potential buyers. Oh. <laughs> Once activated, the Echo Papa 607 is unstoppable. The final weapon is about to be launched. Riker, Yar and Data find Bev and Picard. Data jumps down the 11.75 meter drop <laughs> like it's nothing. Hot. Oh, was it? I think so. Oh, yeah. He's showing off big time <laughs> there. He wouldn't well, show off, would he? Well, no, he's not showing off, but it's it's just another how is. awesome is Data. Yeah. They say, I'm surprised both of them are alive because it's such a high drop. Yeah, and, but and, God was fine falling down there. <laughs> well, he fell on Bev. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh Bev. Oh. But yeah, Data's like, I can make that jump. And then you see him jump. It's pretty impressive the way they cut it. He just takes a step forward and drops down. They could have got a rope, though, and got Yar and Riker down there because they're still up there exposed. What, what rope? Uh, maybe fashion one, <laughs> braid one. They have 12 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I could do it. Well, you weren't there. <laughs> no, they didn't sorry have you on the that. crew. Yeah. Yar and Riker get ready to fight. As the star drive section of the Enterprise returns to Minos, LaForge tries to give Solus and Sue some encouragement. Shields and deflectors are up. Ensign Sue, when I order the shields down, you have one responsibility. Locate the away team and get them up here. You may only have a few seconds. Approaching the planet, sir. Ride's gonna get a little bumpy. Things are gonna happen fast. Just keep alert, stay calm. Let's focus on what we're doing. You know your jobs. You've been trained, you've been tested. And you've earned the right to sit in those chairs. <laughs> Cheesy. <laughs> Can you do better, Chris? Could I? No. Give us your encouraging speech. You guys are great. <laughs> Super awesome. The way that you touch those buttons and know stuff really blows my socks off. I couldn't think of two people I'd rather have on this bridge with me than you. Yay! Now go get them, Tigers. That was right off the top of my That's head, That's really too. nice, that. Yeah, well done. Uh, on the planet, the final weapon... Wait, you should do... <laughs> you do one. All right, you butt munches. <laughs> it's showtime. <laughs> this is what you're here for, and you're only getting one chance, then it's back to the rec room for the rest of your tour. <laughs> Let's do this! You won't say. Oh, man. I think yours is probably much better. Motivational, wasn't it? Very motivational. 
So on the planet, the final weapon is launched. Data attempts to reprogram the targeting setting, but he can't figure out how to do so. Crusher suggests that they just turn the machine off. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and she's right. The salesman refuses to turn it off because he's still trying to sell the merch. Yes. And then Picard goes, well, what if we buy it? And he goes, oh, great. Mm -hmm. And he goes, will you shut it off? Then he's go, of course. Yeah, <laughs> there's no point. So he goes, great, we'll buy it. <laughs> well, they now own it, so I <laughs> guess they can pick yeah. it with them and find out about it. He deactivates the weapons, and now they can contact the ship. Unfortunately for the Enterprise, the previous weapons sent after the ship is still functional and chasing them. Geordi has a cunning plan, though. He orders the ship into the planet's atmosphere, where he hopes atmospheric friction and turbulence will show them where the cloaked weapon is. Mm. The shields begin to fail, and Solace is losing helm control, but good old Sue detects a disturbance that must be the weapon. Worf instantly locks phases on that and destroys it. The away team return. And we end with this. Relinquishing command, Captain. As you were, Lieutenant. Sir? Mr. LaForge, when I left the ship, it was in one piece. I would appreciate your returning it to me in the same condition. You concur, number one? Absolutely, sir. Lieutenant Solis. A lot of course to rendezvous with the saucer section. Sick bay reports Dr. Crusher's going to be fine. Course plotted and laid in. <laughs> I like that <laughs> silly gentle ribbon by Picard. He's, yeah. just, he's just being daft. What I really like too is that Crusher gets one sentence. <laughs> yeah. They don't just get... wrap that up. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Crusher's going to be fine. That's it. Hey, what do you want? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a, a whole recovery montage? Well, just her being like in sick bay, okay. And maybe her and Picard having a scene together. Mm. But no, you don't get that. But let's get into some concepts. Well, we had quite a few bits of tech there. Mm -hmm. We've got an auto-triggered ad video, a hologram of Rice, the uh, guy that Riker had known. Mm -hmm. We don't really know how that worked right. information-wise, so yeah. deduct points for that. Force field cocoon, which Data was able to find the frequency of and eventually destroy, but it worked well for a period of time. Mm-hmm tech which had turned on all of the previous inhabitants, which was more advanced than the Federation's. Yeah. It was learning as it went along and quickly too and could produce new ones in 12 minutes based on the information it had gained. What was the intended format of a demonstration before it all went rogue, do you think? Would they have all been down in the cavern demonstrating it to potential buyers? Yeah, I guess so. I would think that they would have their own ship's that they would test it on, or maybe to prove how good it was, they would actually test it on the people's ships. Just maybe. briefly. And just like, oh, look, we can beat your systems. Yeah, but they wouldn't let it shoot people on the surface, presumably, as presumably. part of the demonstration. It seems like part of an AI that's gone rogue. But then who would it shoot as part of the demonstration? Uh, that would be up for the buyer, I would guess. Oh, gosh. So they could bring some prisoners with them and have it shoot them or something. Sure, or some robots or mm. other probes or uh, who knows but I'm can not... the weapon not sense people down in the cavern or it's programmed not to attack down there? i guess so because that's where buyers would be but then wouldn't all of the people have gone down there for safety and not have been wiped out then maybe they could go down there well they just didn't get an opportunity to well really. it's not learning very well then is it or it just they needed <laughs> a little bit more time i don't know <laughs> i don't know i think you're being a little harsh on this one uh. here I think it's interesting because it's also, it seems to me, to comment on capitalism. We we're going to make money. Let's sell weapons. Who cares? Yeah. The morality of that and yeah. how that can bite you in the ass. Just because you can make money you doing something doesn't mean you should. Mm. 
I looked at an article, Autonomous Weapons Systems and the Laws of War, published last year on armscontrol.org. Oh. And it turns out we've got some science fact here. Oh, really? Bizarrely, the first paragraph of the article refers to a Klingon bird of prey. What? Just <laughs> coincidentally. Wow. But later it says, Autonomous weapon systems are lethal devices that have been empowered by their human creators to survey their surroundings, identify potential enemy targets, and independently choose to attack those targets on the basis of sophisticated algorithms. Mm. The U.S. Department of Defense describes an autonomous weapon system as a weapon system that, once activated, can select and engage targets without further intervention by a human operator. Science fact! Yeah. Thankfully, there are few of these weapons in active service, but many militaries employ closing naval defense weapons that can fire autonomously when a ship is under attack by enemy planes or missiles. Mm. Yet such systems cannot independently search for and strike enemy assets on their own. And human operators are always present to assume control if needed, thank God. Mm. Or at least that's the intention anyway, till it turns on you and kills you. Many air-to-air and air-to-ground missiles are able to attack human-selected targets, such as planes or tanks, but cannot hover or loiter to identify potential threats. One of the few systems to possess that ability is Israel's Harpy Airborne Anti-Radiation Drone, which can loiter for several hours over a certain area to search for and destroy enemy radars. Hmm. Wow. I mean, I knew that this technology existed. I just didn't know how much it was actually being used. Yeah. I mean, the idea of a motion detector and a computer being able to detect motion and then just shoot at whatever it is that's moving around. Yeah, and you've got self-driving cars, sophisticated enough to do that but how would one of these systems determine who was an enemy who should be exterminated you know Uh, basically if anybody Mm. is out there that anybody anybody yeah i don't think it can discern one from another unless you had some sort of transmitter on your uniform that designated you as Mm. somebody who wasn't a threat yeah then again if you had that then it's a thing that could be taken by the enemy yeah The U.S. 2012 Defense Department Directive says autonomous and semi-autonomous weapons systems shall be designed to allow commanders and operators to exercise appropriate levels of human judgment over the use of force. Yet this country, like others, evidently is developing and testing weapons that would allow for ever-diminishing degrees of human control over their future use. Arms racing behaviour is a perennial concern for the great powers because efforts by competing states to gain a technological advantage over their rivals or to avoid falling behind often lead to excessive and destabilizing arms buildups. A race in autonomy poses a particular danger because the consequences of investing machines with increased intelligence and decision-making authority are largely unknown and could prove catastrophic. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, you could develop this system and that gives a person or a small group of people the power of an army. Yes. And using algorithms, it could hone in on racial facial characteristics, for example, and just go and exterminate all of the people who fit into that category or something. Sure. Anything. Any gender, any, you know, like whatever it is that you're going to set as your parameters. Of course, there's ways to counter that. But the whole idea of like a robot army, for example, Mm. is pretty frightening because it would only be a few people that would have to control said robot army. Whereas right now with military, hopefully you've got willing participants in the war. So if those people don't believe in the cause, if they're doing harm to a vast majority of people, then those people would not fight for them. 
But with this technology, you could have one person have a control of a whole army and they could kill everybody. Yeah. If they wanted to. Or defend to. everybody. Or defend everybody. But, or make fewer mistakes. Or, but that seems, I don't know, it seems unlikely because <sighs> if I had an army of robots, most likely somebody else is going to have an army of robots. Then theirs has to be a bit better than yours. Then yours yeah. developing one out, you know, too quickly that's a bit better than theirs and glitches and things that... Yeah, and you lose control of it and you end yeah. up like the Minosians. I wasn't going to give it such a high concept rating until I read about that stuff. And that makes me really think. So going for 8 out of 10. All right. I'm not going to give it that high, but there were some interesting concepts about the things that we just talked about, so I'll give it a seven. Mm. Entertainment. I liked Data jumping down to Bev. Mm. I wasn't into seeing Bev so weak and inactive throughout most of the episode. At least she had the idea that saved them all in the end, though. Yeah, I think it would have been a better dynamic if it was Picard that was the injured one, and, her, and it was her trying to help him and... Using the roots and yeah. all of her knowledge in that way. Yeah. Yeah, it was odd. It was off. It did feel off. Didn't learn more about either her, apart from the grandmother roots thing, or Picard, or their relationship, and that's bizarre. Yeah. What a missed opportunity. I think it would have been interesting, and that they kind of touch on it a bit, is if they had this relationship where they were a little attracted to each other. Yeah, but we'll not... talk about the the big goodbye, was it? There was all a sexual tension between them in that. Well, obviously, the second episode, Naked Now, right. have you breathing on each other and stuff. Mm. I think it would be interesting to have these characters. This is something you don't see in TV a lot, but it happens in real life. People that are attracted to each other, but don't hook up. They work together or they just know it wouldn't work out long term, but they mm -hmm. do have an attraction to one another. He's responsible for the death of your husband. Yeah, th mm -hmm. there's all this stuff going on. And I think that's OK. And that would have been really interesting. Yeah. But or she don't... could have been getting close to death and sort of decides to confess yeah. her love for him or something and then feels totally bashful yeah. about it afterwards when she's recovered. Yeah. Or even confesses that she has confusing feelings. Golden opportunity for that yeah. stuff. That they just kind of poop the bed. Troy's back, but not up to nah. much. <laughs> the puppetry and effects were pretty good. Geordie taking command, overcoming his fear, refusing to be intimidated, but being non-defensive about this guy's uh, intimidation yeah. as well. And then talking of the two randos, seems like they were only there just so that he could encourage them. Yeah. But they didn't make enough of it to make that worth it. No, so that right. was off as well. Yeah. Worf should have been up there and whoever normally does the beaming could have done the beaming. Well, you have operations, then you have navigation, helm, and then you've got tactical. Yeah. What kind of rubbish computer are these? They can't just put two screens on it or something. You can put screens, but you're busy doing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't doing anything for most of the time. No, that no, Sue, no. all she did was wait till he said go, this and then is, she presses the beam button. That's th all she did. This is somebody who does not play Star Trek Bridge Crew, because <laughs> let me tell you, there is plenty to do oh, at yeah. one station. That's true. You're keeping busy, especially when you're in the middle of a fight. <laughs> all right. When you're at ops, you've got to manage all of the power. You've got to manage all of the crew. You're telling people to go over there, do this, do that. Yeah. Navigation's trying to fly the ship, make sure it's not hit mm. by the enemy. Fair and enough. And of course, tactical. So yeah. I think that they were definitely needed, but you're right. They were just <laughs> brought in to be helped. And it wasn't really it wasn't made. really. But I like seeing Jordy in command. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. I'm going six. Sexiness. Ricard. <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> Riker's sexy look. Yeah. Data jumping down. Yeah, yeah. Troy's amazing eye makeup. She's got great eye makeup. No human blanket, though. Yeah. So kind of... minus points for that. So just a... Three out of five. Three out of five? 
Yeah, there was something a little sexy going on in this episode, but nothing overt. I'd say, yeah, three out of five. Yeah, they could have given us some good Bev Picard stuff. Yeah. Little like, tease, at least. Yeah, the, the, it's pretty sexy having the potential of romance. Yeah, you know, that's, we mustn't. Like all great television shows where they have people, will they, won't they? Yes. And then when they do, it's totally boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupid experts. The medical care of Bev wasn't great. No. Her not telling him to at least put a tissue on her bleeding leg <laughs> straight away. The root stuff was all right, although implausible. Yeah. Picard and Riker both being on the planet was stupid. Yeah. Geordie's leadership under pressure was good and Yar and Data were effective. Yeah, really. So I guess overall 2.5. So wait, I keep forgetting. Why can you never remember so this? So stupid. The lower it is, the better they were. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to give it a two. I think they were pretty competent. Your guesses? Nope. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I thought self-sufficiency yeah. meant that it made the planet self-sufficient. So they were making money, spending money, oh, you I know, see. like someone living off their allotment or whatever. Right. So I got confused with that. Mm-hmm. There weren't any survivors of the Drake. I suppose kind of it was androids who were selling guns, uh-huh. but yeah. uh, not really. No. So I'm going to go out now while you play the teaser for next week's show. Yeah, man, these teasers really spoil everything. Do they? They just tell it. <laughs> tell you the whole story. Yeah. Was, oh, gosh. But here you go, folks. On the next episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Set course to intersect with the freighter. A split-second rescue pulls survivors from a fiery disaster. Do you think our visitors pose a threat? I don't know. Only to find bitter enemies battling over life-saving drugs. Now, their desperate feud becomes a deadly face-off. It will take us to our planet and leave us there with our medicine or this person dies. On Star Trek, The Next Generation. All right, I want to thank our patrons for supporting our show. Without your support, we wouldn't keep doing this. Thank you so much for listening, everybody out there. We really appreciate your support. We know there's a load of things to listen to out there. I'm glad you're still with us. As am I. And with that, (laughs) I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek!